Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Tommy Bahami. Dave, you know what I always say at the beginning of these things? I can't remember. It's only been- I am so excited to be here for one specific reason and this one right here. Well, I noticed hey, you brought with you a couple hunky military men. I did. Well, I, I brought two guys. One has been with, with our group since 2007, and another one's been with our group since 2009. And it has been probably one of the top three things that have driven MTI to, to, to grow. Get this. I say this number and people probably get tired of it, but it's real. We have grown over 2,700% in our net worth as an association since 2007. One, because of a key strategy that we learned how to do that back in 2007 when these guys started talking to us about how to achieve growth and build high-performing teams. So I'd like to introduce to you today, Mr. Cruiser, Kyle Hallen, call sign Cruiser, and John Borneman, call sign Hatch. And Dave, I'll let you take it from there. The guy, introduce yourselves and tell the audience listening in what, what's your background and how you came from the military and to do what you do today. So you actually, yeah. Hey, Cruiser, you want to start? So you guys have a business called uh, the, the core group core with like military core. Correct. Um, what's the origin of that? Why don't we start with the, the person who had the original idea for that business? Which one was that? Well, wait a minute. They're going to fight over that. That's okay. <laughs> That's entertainment, I'll, man. I'll, that is... I'll, let Hatch, I'll let Hatch go. All right, that. Hatch, who are you? Give us, tell us a little bit about your background and what got you to where you are today. Sure. So, uh, yeah, real name's John Borneman, grew up Eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, lucky, went to the United States Naval Academy, get out of there in 1985. Uh, from there, into the Marine Corps and uh, flight school, and eventually uh, ended up flying F 18s in the Marine Corps. Uh, flew those uh, late 80s through the 90s, flying in Desert Storm, uh, off aircraft carriers, a couple runs through Bosnia. Uh, and along the way, was lucky, got to go to Top Gun and uh, the Marine Corps' uh, weapons and tactics instructors course. So, uh, wait, I'm sorry, hang on, hold on. Top Gun's a real thing? Top Gun's a real thing. <laughs> I did not know that. I just figured it was a Tom Cruise thing. Top Gun's a real thing. So when you see the movie Hatch, when you watch the movie, and by the way, the most recent <laughs> is quite entertaining. But when you see the movie, do you, do you roll your eyes or do you get really excited? No, I I've enjoyed both movies. Uh, the first one came out right when I started flight school, uh, so I had the cassette tape i played it every day going into the base to fly all right so you're into it like you're like this represents us that's who i am that's what you say to yourself i am take some liberties with what they showed just because you know you wouldn't be able to really do the whole show um but as far as showing some of the demands that are put on the pilots uh some of the dynamics that exist between the pilots the demand for teamwork uh, and the focus of always getting better, uh, that that was very accurate. All right, one more question uh, about Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we'll get back to like more important stuff, like yeah. strategy. Uh, uh, which one of you would you say is more like um, a maverick and which one of you is more like Goose? I'm not really sure either one of us are in the Goose category. We both uh, maverick. We Same with always, Tom and me. We're both we Maverick. We always flew the airplane. So, uh, yeah. Fair, fair. I would definitely say I'd be in the goose category, man. I'd be up there with my mask on. Like, hey, Cruiser, what's going on up front up there? Can you see that? Do you see, do you see oh, Iceman? I would totally be Maverick. I'd be all serious and be like, we got to save somebody right now. We got to do it. And then I'd do some maneuver and, I'd be, and you'd be like, oh, no, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Breaking the rules. And I'd be like, rules don't apply to me. Cruiser, tell us about you. Where, what's your, um, what similar background? I mean, is it just yeah, like you know, same so thing? You know, uh, Kyle Howland. Uh, my call sign was Cruiser. Um, the background on that is fairly funny. Uh, it's not as cool as you think it is. Um, born and raised in the mountains of Colorado. Went to school at Colorado. Uh, got commissioned. Joined the Marine Corps. And just like Hatch, went through flight school. 
uh, was fortunate enough to get jets. Um, I flew the Harrier, so it's a little bit different beast. Um, and you trained uh, on the Harrier, right? You were you were a Harrier yeah. trainer, and I for was the, an instructor, and instructor for people pilot. listening, the Harrier is one of the first jets to hover, right? It's like this hovering airplane. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was the first jet. Yeah, yeah. Take off and land vertically. You know, instructor pilot, weapons officer, air show pilot. Um, retired 21 plus years in the Marine Corps between active duty and reserve. And then uh, Hatch and I met shortly, uh, I think our first Westpac, which is when you deploy over to Japan. Uh, Hatch was over there with the Hornet Squadron. I was there with my Harrier Squadron. And uh, yeah, we met in the officer club in 1992, Hatch. About yeah. 92, winter of 92. 1993, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then... Back and forth, and then we both uh, left the Marine Corps, uh, started other careers, and uh, here we are today. Well, t okay, fill in the gap there. When did you turn, when did you guys create the core group, which is more or less, and maybe you can explain it better, but in, in my view, the core group is a strategic planning process and, and coaching system. Yeah, so we, we got started uh, the fall of 08, you know, was when when we started it, um, we had been involved with another place, uh, that seemed to us to be more about educational entertainment. And, uh, we thought that we were probably not doing what we needed to do in terms of helping our clients, no kidding, create measurable, uh, value adding results, right? So being able to de develop a strategic plan, a real strategic plan, based on military fundamentals, and then organizing that same company and that leadership team and their management teams into high-performing teams, into teams that could take their strategic plan, energize it, and increase the value of the company, because that's that's the goal for everybody. So that's, that's what we set off to do. And I think you did it well. I think it was a, a cruiser, I want to say somewhere around 2010, that we started working together. So at that point, I had a company called Peach New Media, and I met you at a FSAE event, Florida Society of Association Executives event, uh, that uh, and I, I knew Tom at the time, and I think Tom brought you into, you were the keynote at FSAE. Um, and I was just like so excited about what you were talking about, which is essentially a methodology for strategic planning, how to implement um, organized strategic thought. And at the time, I, I can't remember, I might have had like 30 employees at the time, 25 or 30 employees. And we started working with you. And it was one of the most awesome changes. To this day, I still point at that moment in time as being the most impactful um, change in the development or the evolution of my company. Um, for bringing what what you called at the time Prometheus to our company as a process for us to figure out what's our vision, what are our our goals and objectives, and how are we going to get there? And uh, needless to say, uh, a short four years later, as a direct reflection of of your help, we sold uh, our company. It it and it's now owned by Community Brands, which many people listening to this podcast know. Um, so anyway, thank you for your help with that. Absolutely. So one, one of the things I want to ask, I mean, we always talk about building leaders and we think of companies, but I think what's important for our listeners today is if they don't have a leadership development program for their members to help develop their members, they're running backwards into the future. And so I'd like to just have Hatch and um, uh, Cruiser really kind of unpack a little bit. You've been with us doing this since 2009 with us with the Yes Management Training Program, which is our program that is four sessions, day and a half over four different times, February, May, August, and they graduate after session four in our October meeting. And just kind of unpack for you guys in that time frame what you what are the differences you've seen in people as you have sewed into their lives and the programs that we have put on over the past 13, 14 years? Wait, wait, hold on, Tom. So MTI hires cruiser and hatch to run these sessions and then you invite your members in to these 
quarterly sessions. Is, did I understand that right? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's an annual program and they, they don't apply for it, but it is a first come first serve basis. And here's the thing that's kind of fun. Nowadays, it's now sold out. We've gone from 30, maximum 30 students. We had to increase it to 36 and to keep up with demand, we had to increase it to 45 and it sold two years out. So we had to, you know, it's 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 it's, it's so a one first, year program, one year so the, four part program. Okay. Yeah. So the first session in February focuses on high building high performing teams. Session two was done by a guy named Dr. Rick Marks, who focuses on um, uh, building emotional intelligence in the workplace. Um, and then in session three is about building your own leadership style, and they help you do that with a leadership development program. And then session four is applying all of that that you've learned the first three into some extra things that they pull out in session four. So Tom, each what, session ha what do you charge for that? What, what's the, we charge 29 95 now per person. And that's just a registration fee, but we tell everybody the first day of class that you got to realize your, your organization is investing six to seven grand in your life because you've got to think we're in four different cities around the country. This is just registration plus airfare plus hotel for three nights, plus food, beverage, so it's it's somewhere between six to seven thousand dollars, depending on the city that they're investing in these people. And my, I always say when people say how good is the program, to me the proof's in the pudding. We get some companies that spend that much money on four people to come in one year, and they do it year out and year out. So you know the kind of the whole focus with our membership in this is they've typically got about six different managers and di different areas of their company, and so they'll send one a year for six years. So that when uh, you know this, Dave, when you get all your management thinking the same direction and the same philosophies, it's magical. And that's what these guys bring to the table. Cruiser with, um, taught me that. Cruiser taught yeah. me that with his lighthouse little uh, visualization. I can yeah. picture it now, Cruiser. So I'd like to hear from, from Cruiser and Hatch, speaking associations, just sharing from your perspective as the facilitators and what you've seen happen with us. What is the impact of having a leadership development program for an association? What, what it can mean. So, so I will tell you, it's, it's huge. And, and the one thing that, that Hatch, as we were talking about the, the genesis of the core group, um, you know, core is a Latin word. It, it is the Marine Corps and the word core is a group or an entity that is focused on excellence. And, and we talked about what we learned uh, back in our days, flying fighters and what we could bring to the business world that would be different. Um, and that difference is high performing teams. Um, and so if you look at small companies, especially smaller companies that are in associations, a lot of these smaller companies, although they want to do training, a lot of it has to focus on more on the job type stuff because they can't afford an organization like ours to come in and teach five, six employees. Well, I give Tom Morrison and MTI credit because they kind of saw that. And so they started the yes. And, and, you know, this goes back many, many years because yes was something that had been going at MTI kind of died on the vine and Tom brought it back to life. So I definitely give him credit for that brought us in. And to his point, uh, the first session is all about high performing teams and we focus on the core essence of a high performing team. And it's really three main pillars, three key focal points, and it's high performing leaders, uh, high-performing processes, because one thing Hatch and I always said from our backgrounds, um, we had a common way of getting things done. And, and because of that, the constant focus was on getting better. So every time Hatch and I went and flew a mission, um, we had a way that we did it, and we always did it the same way because we had to learn as fast as humanly possible. And you can't repeat mistakes in, in that in that world that we were in. So with MTI, to answer your question, Tom, what I see all the time, I see, you know, cause it, it, it is, it was the genesis of it was the young executive series. Now we have young men and women uh, in their twenties. Uh, we also have thirties, forties, and we have, you know, people that have been leading companies or leading their uh, heat treating organization for many years. And they may be in their forties and fifties, you know, and they're plant managers or maybe even presidents of companies. So to Tom's point, our focus is on the first one, high-performing teams. The second one, Dr. Marks, really focuses on the person. Um, and then we 
uh, take up from those soft skills. And in the third session, we focus on what does it mean and what does it take to be a high-performing leader? What are the core skills, values, and time application that is required for you, whether you're 25 or 55, to really be a good leader, one that people look up to? And then the last one, the fourth session, to Tom's point, we tie it all together um, and we have them think through what does it look like to be a leader and what does your leadership journey look like? We have them build a leadership development plan. And then Hatch and I bring them through a strategic planning process where as a leader, again, doesn't matter what their age are, they can look at how to truly build strategy, how to align their organization, how to build a culture of excellence. And what we see time in and time out is some of these folks, you know, working in smaller organizations, they come in session one, um, they, they may be a little quiet, a little timid. And what we hear year in and year out is you help me grow exponentially, both as a human being, um, as a as a leader. You help me see things that I never saw, never thought of, would have never understood. Um, and, and I think that's one of the big benefits. And the side benefit of all that is you see these people grow and and their self-esteem improves. And it's just it's really cool to see. Now, here, here's a real powerful thing. Maybe. I agree, by the way, I, I have to say this right after that, like everything you just described are words right out of my mouth. Yeah, I, I uh, it, everything got better at certainly at work when after you had inspired us and showed us how to do things better, not just with our leadership team, the entire company. I remember you would come in and you facilitate group discussions with the whole company. Yep. And uh, people were just so, do you remember one of our guys stood up once and he said, I just want to say how his name is Cooper. I just want to yeah. say, you remember yeah. Cooper? He yeah. stood up one day at, at the end and he's like, I, I, he's blown away. I don't even know what to say. He's never been a part of a company that valued people's opinions. And that That's was you. That was you coming to the table saying, Dave, shut up for a minute and let other people talk and very difficult for me to do still. And I, and you gave him a chance to say something and not just him, but everybody else. And they broke off into groups. It was unbelievable. And it was so meaningful to them. So thank you. You know, one of the powerful things Dave behind this is associations listen to this is so over half of my board members now, as much as three quarters of my board members are former yes graduates. And the power behind that is, is I've had them for years. So I, I, as CEO, I go to, I've been to every single session since 2007 when we started this, revitalize this program. And what I do when they get finished on Thursdays, I have them for a half day on the morning on Fridays. And we talk personal development, volunteer development. We talk about what MTI provides them. And I really help them understand they're just a manager, first year, second year manager in this program but they have access to all these different resources and benefits and people to help them be the best they can be, not just in the, in the company, but in life. And here's, here's the big picture. Well, Cruz was right. We used to call it the young executive series program, but it, it was so, it was so good when the young people would come back from the program, the presence of some of our company said, I want some of that energy. I want some of that in my life. So they started signing up for this. So we changed it from the yes management training to from young executive series to the Yes Management Training Program, we took the word young out of it because now it's for any age. But I always look at, you know, I mean, I'm a positive person. I love the name Yes Management because Yes always is about something that's very positive. So it's been branded very well. And I mean, like I said, it's sold two years out. So I encourage any association listening, you should, if you, you know, you should connect with us to figure out how you can do this for your association. So let, let's shift, if we could, away from uh, leadership training. And for certainly for uh, members, because that's what you created a great member benefit by creating this leadership training through MTI. MTI. Let's go more towards how associations can help their staff. Like Cruiser helped Peach New Media, how can Cruiser and Hatch, uh, or what are what what are the steps involved in helping association leadership? become uh, more effective because okay. I think a big problem with associations is they often find there's too much on their plate 
everybody's running around like their chickens with their heads cut off. They don't know uh, where they're going to get the time to get it all done. Right. Major, major problem, especially in association. It happens everywhere. Yeah. No one's got assistance. Everybody's their own person, their own department. So Hatch, you want to take that, like talk, talk to us a little bit about where, and, and, and to, to sum it up, these are small businesses, really. And we're looking, generally speaking, association, the, the most, the biggest chunk of associations, I think, falls between one and $10 million in, in revenue. Um, that's the bulk of them. So we're talking about small businesses with a staff of anywhere from three to 30 people. Like that's pretty typical for an association. So where do you get started? We get started exact same place you got started, right? Where does that association want to be four to five years from now, right? And then the context for an association is how are we going to make the association more valuable for the members of the association? So what is the value that the association is going to bring to its membership? And so just as you had a lighthouse, we would help them create the lighthouse for the association. Here's where our association will be four to five years from now. You can say three years if you want to, okay? And the staff will work together just as Cruiser did with you, with your uh, the folks at your company, using open planning, bringing everybody into the room so that collectively we build the future picture together. And by doing that, we create buy-in, we probably get a better end state because it's not just the leader's point of view, it's the collective point of view of everybody that's associated there. And right. then from there- Wait, I'm, hold on one second right there. Hold that thought because I, I, don't, I, don't I don't want you to stop, but I need to ask this. That initial step, does that happen with the board or does that happen with the staff leadership? To me, usually, uh, it's this, it's the, you know, it would be Tom and his immediate direct reports. Oh, so the staff, it's the staff leadership. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then they would take it to, eventually they'll take it to the board, uh, but they'll figure the whole thing out with the collective staff. I think you're right on the nose there, Hatch, because here's what I've learned. It's one of my 10 keys of how do you grow an effective association in the future before the board, if the staff isn't sold out to the direction we're going, it doesn't matter what the association board approves. Because once they approve it, you got to have a staff that's passionate and knows the direction and willing to carry it out. And so I think any, you know, around here, when we talk strategy for the future, I'm talking with the staff and our team meetings constantly. So when we get to the board level, whatever I know is approved is going to be accepted in, back at the home office and they're going to be all in on it. But you're, I think you're right on board there saying the staff is so important from the get-go because um, they, they can be a big detriment to the plan if no one wants to carry it out. And, and Dave, I'll, I'll add something on to what Hatch said, and you had touched on it earlier when you were at Peach New Media and, you know, the opportunity for Cooper and some of the folks to have input, uh, whether it's a small association with a small leadership team or, or a large association. I think one of the things we do, and I want all the listeners to end up understanding, is it's not just strategy. Everything we focus on, strategy is an element of it because a leader or the leadership has to at some point to be effective, to be able to think and act strategically. Um, because if they don't understand where they're going in the next 24 to 36 months, uh, their day-to-day -day executional efforts can be just a complete waste of time. So the, the byproduct of getting a team together and open planning and going through that strategy is just one of the, one of the many things uh, great leaders, or we call them high-performing leaders, have to do. And to your point, being able as a leader to sit back and listen to your team, the folks that we always said had boots on the ground, they see stuff happening because they're running maybe the marketing segment. They're running, you know, the membership segment. They're running the, the 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 training and education segment. They see things differently than the CEO in this case, like Tom Morrison sees, because they're having to do the care and feeding every day. So they'll have some different input. And you know, to back up on that, one of the best things we can do for any association is is to spend some time having conversations with that on. Where do they want to be? 
And what are they doing that's working and what are they doing that's not working? And one of the elements of a high-performing team, as I go back to, is the high-performing leaders that are focused on a two, three, four-year plan, high-performing processes. And that is one thing that we've instilled in everybody that's gone through our program within MTI and YES is, again, not just having a common way, but bringing everybody in to open planning, having the ability to do a briefing, which is where we sit down with people that are going to do the execution and everybody understands their role in the execution of that, whether it's uh, FNA, which is Furnaces North America, which is a big part of what MTI does in the fall of every year. The people that are part of the execution team understand I'm doing this. Here's where I'm going to be during this time. This is what I'm helping the membership with. And then we we have this common term of red teaming where you know, I always say my plan is always perfect until I share it with somebody else. And, and somebody else is somebody on the team that looks at it and they put a critical set of eyes on it to give me some input in the missed opportunities or the omissions in that plan. And then no matter what, one of the big things you'll always hear core group talk about is from our, from our past high performing teams always debrief. They always look to get better. They look at what worked and did it work because of something we did or did it just happen by accident? But probably as importantly, or Hatch would probably agree with it, I think he would, what didn't work. And instead of sweeping mistakes under the rug, we look at it and go, okay, if we got a mulligan or a do-over, how would we do this better, different, faster, um, better for the members? Um, so, we're, you know, debriefing is a huge part of a high-performing team. You know, and certainly having high-performing people and cultures, but I think leaders that, that instill these types of things in teams, they build cultures that people go, I want to go work for mm -hmm. that. I want to be part of that. So Hatch, you know, go ahead. So Hatch, I, I interrupted you uh, a little while ago. You, you start with the leadership team to create a vision of the future, three years or five years out. What happens next? So you build, and again, I, we're, we're very specific on the words. We build a future picture. It's a measurable point in time. Uh, it's well-defined. It's clear. Um, we've got the staff that's developed that. And then beyond that, now it's a matter of, you know, and this is part of the whole Prometheus process. It's all about system change, right? We can't get where we've decided we want to go if things don't change within the system. So how are we going to grow professionally as a staff? How are we going to work better as a staff? And then how are we going to go out and engage our membership in very specific ways to generate greater value for the folks that make up the association, right? That's that's value generation in the world that we're talking about here. So we identify centers of gravity, we develop our plans to engage those centers of gravity, and then exactly what Cruiser said, we go off, we execute, we debrief our execution, we make our adjustments, and off we go again. Let's talk about the one thing that gets in the way of all of that. And y'all talk about it all the time, and that's task overload. How, how, how do people deal with task overload, especially as a small business or staff? Well, I'll, I'll answer this by saying this way. If, if, to Hatch's point, those centers of gravity are things that give us a disproportionate rate of return for our invested time, energy, and money, and those systems that we're looking at as an association are both internal and external. The internal elements may be processes that we're doing that task saturate people or task overload people because we're piling a bunch of stuff on somebody and some of it's meaningless work. If we decide as a team, we're gonna change some of those processes, we can start mitigating or, or limiting the task overload that we're shoving down the pipe, so, so to speak, on top of people. Um, one of the things that we always talk about, this, this idea of task overload is, you know, many people uh, that are listening to this think that they're great multitaskers. Um, um, Hatch and I, the US government spent millions of dollars training us. And what they really taught us was nobody really does multitasking well. What we can figure out is how we manage task overload. How do we mitigate it? And some of that ways is we have the processes in place that allow everybody at the highest level to understand what it is that we're trying to do. And when things get in the way, uh, we figure out how to bypass those barriers and not as an active human error, continue to pile stuff that is meaningless work on top of people. Man, I, I, you know, Cruiser, I love some of the language you're using because it brings me back literally a decade in time to lots of the conversations and the key learnings I had. And you're, you're 
sparking a lot of, um, of, of concepts that I need to dust off. Uh, the red teaming is one of them. And, and in fact, I love this concept of red teaming. It's, um, and, and in fact, we still, to this day, I still work with Ryan and Cameron, who are a big part of that team that you coached right. back, back then. They, they're a big part of my team now in, in PropFuel. And we still, at the end of some meetings, with a smirk on our face, we say, glad to be here. Now, can you, can you explain where that phrase, glad to be here, comes from? Patch, I'll let you take that one. So the it comes from the Blue Angels. So when the Blue Angels run their debriefs and they get done uh, with basically a personal self-assessment of how they did in terms of flying their role in the air show against the standards that have been established for their role. And when they get done with that explanation and they've taken ownership of any mistakes they made, they simply say, glad to be here. That's and their sign. Them, like that's how the, basically them saying, I'm, I'm done. I'm done talking. Glad to be here. I'm done, I'm, I'm done talking and I'm glad to be here. And I think what it does is, is it raises again to the conscious level, how fortunate we are to be in this position, whether it's uh, a role within peach new media or a role within prop fuel, prop fuel or a role within MTI or for hatch and I within our squadron, because a lot of times you get into the day in and out grind and you start to forget how awesome it is working for the company that you're at. And that's why the blues kind of do that is, yeah, it's kind of their way of saying I'm done, but they genuinely are glad to be there. Who gets to fly an F-18 as part of a Blue Angel um, for a two-year segment? Very few people. And, and, and what happens is they get in and it's work. They're flying a lot of training missions, um, you know, doing stuff, getting prepped for air shows. And then they go fly an air show and they're very critical on each other. Just little itty bitty things. And that's just a, a, a very, I used to say it's a general reminder. I don't even think it's a general reminder. I think it is an abrupt reminder. How fortunate am I to be part of this company? And for them, it's, I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm a blue angel. How freaking awesome is that? And also they didn't die doing a loop-de-doop-de-doop-de-doo <laughs> or whatever they do out there. Yeah. You know, that's well, kind of, what's cool is during the program, Cruiser and Hatch show a sample video of the Blue Angels doing the, part of their debrief. You know, us as the spectators, that always looks perfect to us, absolutely perfect. But when you sit in there listening to them talking, I mean, inches means potential death to those guys if they click, you know, and they're, and they're flying so close together at a couple hundred miles an hour. So it's, it's fun to watch, you know, men and women at that level doing their debriefs when we think that it's perfect. And they're like, oh, no, it's, it's far from perfect. There's always things to be improved. So if you were in a, let's talk about that concept of debriefings, because it, it really is an important one. And something that people listening to this podcast can bring back to their organization right now, along with the glad to be here little line that says, hey, I'm, I'm sharing my perspective and glad to be here. I'm all done. Uh, what kinds of things do you debrief in, uh, let's just say, in an, an association staff. Obviously, one easy example is you just did a big conference, conference is over, debrief the conference. But, you know, that happens a couple times a year. Do you debrief things as simple as like a webinar that you're putting on, an event? Like what, give me an example of how often and what kinds of things you would debrief. That's a great question because the associations do a lot of campaigns of different types. Some are small, some are large. So yeah. it's not just their big annual meetings. It's a lot of different campaigns. So I think that's a great question, David. How do you debrief and what do you debrief on when you do those kind of things? So I will, I will, I will make it simple, Dave, because we could go into a lot of different specific examples. But Hatch and I always say, like from our world, if it took a plan, any kind of plan, even if it's just a verbal plan to execute, there should be a debrief. And teams tell us all the time they don't have the time to debrief. And one of our mantras within our organization is, well, then you're telling us that you have the time to make that same mistake or repeated mistakes over and over again. And you'll just, again, at some point, you'll figure it out. So it can be something as simple as a, a board meeting getting together. And we always say, what was the outcome? What was the desired outcome? If we have a desired outcome, whether it's a meeting, uh, whether it's a you know, we're putting together something where we're doing an offsite and, and the members are all meeting there. Obviously, we're going to debrief after that. But if it's a big thing like for MTI, FNA, there are certain milestones, booking the hotel, 
getting the transportation set, getting all that stuff where you want to get the team back together, executable items that we want to debrief. How's it working? Um, are, are we are we on time? Are we on budget? Are those things working? So for us, if my, my bottom line is if there's any kind of planning involved, there should be debriefing. And it doesn't always have to happen at the very end. You should be doing it at, at intervals to make sure that we're on track. Patch, anything else to add? No, I think, you know, when you think about an association, you, you nailed it, right? Any meaningful event. So would it be a webinar? I think so, right? Maybe. The webinar had a plan. Uh, would it be for us and yes at MTI after Cruiser and I debrief after every uh, yes event that we participate in uh, for MTI, anytime they would have a board meeting? Those are things that take a lot of energy. Those are things that are meant to add value to the association. To me, those those are things worthy of a debrief. You know, so two, things, Tom, two things I'll say, Dave, that I think that they didn't say outright, but are in their comments. There's two things you, y'all have always said, Hatch and Cruiser, that have always impacted me in terms of the importance of this. And this is big in associations because CEOs walk in the room and guess what? Everybody shells up. And so the, the debrief has to be what you always say, nameless and rankless. So even the, even the CEO's got to be willing to sit there and lead by saying, you know what? I can take a little bit of fault because I did. I think I could have done this better. Um, and, and, I, and your favorite, one of your favorite phrases, it's not who's right, it's what's right. And I think those are two big things that always stick out to me in a debrief is making sure that everybody in there feels open and trustworthy to share openly, no matter what, not pick on people, but to just share the issue that we need to correct. And then to make sure that, you know, you're all, as Dr. Mark says in session two, this is about us, not me. That's correct. And I think that us happens in the debrief because it starts to build that culture of trust. And from that culture of trust comes a culture of learning where everybody on our team and the companies that we work with, the associations we work with, we want them to learn, even if it's just incremental. It was a board meeting. It was a WebEx call or it was some kind of online learning. How could we get just this much better? And and if we are debriefing and talking about what worked and what didn't and people feel safe where they can say, you know what, I made a mistake. Uh, I sent the wrong meeting invite to so-and-so. They weren't on that call or that webinar for this reason. That was my fault. You know what, uh, here's what we learned from that. It, it, that's what we want because if people understand that the debrief, and, and you'll hear me say this, I'll, 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 I'll take the bullet on this one. It's not a post-mortem. A lot of people go, well, we got to do a post-mortem. And, you know, we always laugh. I always make the comment of, I don't want to go to a room or a place where someone or something's going to die. We call it a debrief and we, you know, we look forward to it because we're going to learn something from it. Hatch is going to tell me some stuff that I said during the day. I use a lot of ums or I did this and we try to fix it. It's just every little thing incrementally because we don't want to make repeated mistakes and we don't want any of our customers or clients to do the same thing. Um, it's, it's, it's very valuable. Tom, I, I, the one thing I think we, we talked about events mm-hmm. often being red team, like that's, that's an easy one. I, but I think if you were to event, if you were to red team, like the renewal process, Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's an annual renewal or an uh, anniversary renewal, like either way, if, if you were to review the renewal process or the member acquisition process and how things are going, I think that could be incredibly valuable too uh, to figure out what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong in this, in the way we do this thing? Right. I, I think, I think, I think of each week, I think on association, I think if each week on a Friday afternoon, you got the people involved in that that have skin in the game for that particular element and you debriefed it over time, you have debriefed each segment of your association that requires you to deliver that value and member experience. And you would just see it become better and better and better. And plus you're doing what you did for Cooper. You're giving your team a voice because they would love to stop having vice presidents of membership and events tell them what to do and have them say, what do we need to do? And, and I think, Dave, just for the listeners to give you some insight into this, this term red teaming, um, when, when Hatch and I were flying in our squadrons, we would build plans and they could be simple plans for some kind of a strike or a mission or very complex plans where you have multiple different assets going into a target area. Um, and, and what we always did is we brought in other people, the intel officer or some weather folks, other pilots, and they listen to our plan. 
And, and what we were looking for them was they were not part of the original planning team. Their goal in this role of a red team was to give us input into something that we may have forgotten. So flip that into an association. Anything that goes out, goes out to the membership, whether, whether it's a go live for some kind of educational activity that we're doing or learning, or it, it, it is a big event, it's an offsite, uh, we're doing a membership, new drive, anything that goes out of our four walls, there are going to be people inside the association that are part of planning that. What people get used to is, hey, I planned this, um, I had somebody take a look at it, it seems okay, out it goes. Shoot, we find out something little like there's four or five misspellings, uh, this isn't clear, and these three dates are wrong. I mean, that's a simple example. So the, the thing we try to teach people is culturally, go, you know what, as a high-performing team, before it goes out, two or three of the members that are part of our team were not part of this plan. I'm going to have Dave come in, I'm going to have Hatch come in, and I'm going to have Tom come in. Here's our plan. Did we miss anything? And Hatch goes, yeah, you, you misspelled those three things. Went to the Naval Academy, he's a card-carrying smart guy. And I'm like, oh, geez, I didn't even realize that. Tom goes, hey, by the way, those two dates are wrong. And you go, yeah, my team isn't able to do that in that date. You know, it's those little things. And the idea on the red team is just to go, oh, my gosh, okay, let's bring the team back together. Let's fix those things. Then it can go out. It could be anything, right? An advertisement. Anything that goes outside our four walls gets red teamed so we know that we're not going to make a mistake and, and or mitigate it as much as we can. Tom, where do you yes. want to go from here? Should we should we get into our key takeaways or is there another? Before we get into the key takeaways, stuff? we haven't talked about one thing that I think is so crucial in a leadership training program. If anybody listening says, you know what, we like what Tom's doing with the core group. We want, whether you use core group or anybody, we want to do a leadership training program in our organization. But there's one key facet we haven't talked about. And Cruiser Hatch, that's the experiential learning aspect of your program and y'all do some phenomenal phenomenal experiential learning exercises taught if you could just maybe give a couple of exercises and what the what they teach and what the importance of those are in the process as opposed to being like you always say powerpointed to death gotta get them out of their seats right get them in so talk, talk about that for a few seconds well I'll, I'll hit it and then i'll let hatch kind of kind of bring us home on this one of the big things that we're really passionate about at the core group is is People learn best when they're enjoying something and they get a chance to hear a new concept or something new from a PowerPoint, but they get a chance to go and practice it as a team. So in each one of our sessions, uh, we have multiple experiential learning things that Hatch and I will give up, get up, tell them a little bit from a PowerPoint perspective, some academia, if you will, some new learnings. Then we get them out of their seats and we put them into um, an unfamiliar environment and we put them through an experiential learning piece where they get to have some fun. There are some significant takeaways that apply directly back to the learnings they just went through in the presentation we gave before that. Patch? No, I mean, that's that's pretty accurate. The idea, again, get them moving. We want them up. We, have, we want them going through an experience. It's really cool because if you look through the years, everybody's been through the same experiences. So when they go back to their companies, they're sitting there going, oh my gosh, did you go through that? And what happened when you got into this? And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I was a little out over my ski tips, but they, you know, they work through it. Um, again, they debrief it, they get some takeaways and, uh, you know, it, it really kind of, what's the right word we're looking for here? Just you know, kind of burns it into the old gray matter so that they can leverage it later on when they get back to where they're going. And well, yeah, the, the idea is to solidify the learnings. And, and for the associations out there, it doesn't matter if the members that you have attending things like this are young, middle-aged or old. What we find all the time is we make them get out of their comfort zone and, and step into a leadership role to lead one of these experiential learnings. And one of the things, again, I said it at the kind of the beginning of this, is what we find over and over again, regardless of age, is the confidence that people have at the end of a program like this, because they put, they've been put in front of people that some of them they may or may not know that well, and they've had to lead them through one of these hour-long experiential learnings that, quite honestly, we like to call them, some of them are pre-varsity. Uh, there, there's a lot to get your head around in a short amount of time, and a lot of it's military terminology, or it's something completely new that they've never seen or done before. So they got to think outside the box. They got to work together as a team. They got to think like leaders and and really, truly act like a high-performing team to get it done in the amount of time. 
the end of the day, the idea is to cement the stuff and have fun. Well, what you said was so crucial, Cruiser. You put them in an unfamiliar environment. What I've realized over the last 15 years watching this happen is when you put them in an unfamiliar environment, it magnifies their weaknesses they need to work on. Huge. Yeah. And, and, and what I love about it, Dave, is after every experience the learning exercise, they, sh- they debrief every learning exercise so they get the experience of how to do that right on site. So it's really cool to watch that in live. I've done it, man. I've done it. Cruiser took us. So we had a, uh, a big company retreat. I think it was a holiday kind of retreat thing where we, we went to this uh, uh, compound, for lack of a better word, uh, for, you know, three days, two nights. And, you know, of course, big parties and lots of fun, but also... Uh, cruiser came in and ran one of these uh, experiential sort of team building uh, exercises. You know, there's a lot to be learned and not just about strategy and ways to think better, but uh, about the people on our team too. You know, who's the outspoken one? Who's the, who's, who's the one who thinks all their ideas are right? And who's the one that's kind of quiet, but might actually have the best ticker on them. So like, uh, really, really interesting and fun exercise. I, I can remember the bulk of the exercise too. It had to do with um, uh, going into Iraq and, and how are we gonna how are we gonna take things down? And it was it was a pretty good it was a pretty good uh, military exercise. Yeah. The takeaway time. Yeah. So here's what we do, guys. Uh, at the end of every podcast, uh, Tom and I will start just to give you guys a chance to think. But you might have a point you want to make, one key takeaway, one key giveaway, something you want to emphasize for the listeners. And Tom and I tend to focus on the one thing that, you know, we're going to go back to our teams with. So go ahead, Tom, what do you got? Well, for me, I mean, just speaking to everybody listening in, I would just say leadership, building a leadership program like this can be monumental for your organization. One, you're building your future leaders for the association. You're building the future leaders for your companies and your industry who will be more happy because we what we have learned to yes yes uh, students and graduates is when they're more happy and more purpose filled in their professional and personal life they're better leaders at, at every level and so for me you know especially as CEO I love it because it's training ground for me to look at recruiting who my future board members are going to be and it gives me a chance for a year to build a relationship with them so you know going back to the old Nike you know adage, just do it, you know, figure out a way to try and build a leadership program uh, in your organization. I highly encourage, and I can only highly encourage because I've been with them for 15 years now and they've transformed. We've had over 550 graduates in 15 years in this program that many would look you in the eye and say, it didn't just make me a better leader. It transformed my entire life and made me a better person. So for me, it's a concept of red teaming. I I think uh, Cruiser we, my team and I retained a lot of what you taught us. Uh, we've adjusted and changed some things over time. Um, but we're doing strategic planning. I, I, I would give us a, a, a minus, a pretty good. We're doing a pretty good job at prop fuel with our strategic planning and our visioning and how we're going to get there and so on. Um, but what I think we've left behind and I'm re-inspired is the whole red teaming concept. I think we could do a much better job with the red teaming. And uh, I'm looking forward to picking that up with my guys. So thank you. You bet. How, how, how about you? What do you, what do you, what's your key takeaway? So my key takeaway is. Or giveaway, giveaway, feel free to give something away or take it away up to you. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you kind of look at it. My job as a leader is to make sure that it can, like, that my company, my team, my group can function without me. And so, when you start thinking about your company or your team, you know where is that team four years from now, and can they function without you, right? And the easiest way to test it is that I can go on vacation for two weeks and they don't hear from me. Maybe we and- should test that. Should we test it? Maybe we should test it for the next couple of weeks. And a big, that's it, right? The vacation is the test. And I get back and the wheels are still on the bus, right? There's some companies and some leaders, they're not doing that. And in the Marine Corps, it we had to do it because there was a possibility that one of us would be killed. 
And we had to have people that were ready to step up and fill our shoes so the unit could keep on moving. Companies are no different. Are you ready? Are your folks ready three, four years from now to pick up the ball and run the company at the same level that you run it today so you can go on and maybe take a vacation or take a Friday night, Friday afternoon off because your people know what to do. And there's tremendous value in that. I must be doing something really well because my team is begging me to leave. They're like, would you just get out of here? Like they're saying, you should leave. Don't you you have a podcast to do with Tom or something? (laughs) So thumbs up to me, right? What about you, Cruiser? What's the key takeaway? You know, my key takeaway, I'll just, I'll kind of put the voice out there. For all of those, uh, you know, that that listen to this, that work as as a part of a leadership team or part of a group uh, that is representing your membership and associations, the thing I, well, I want you to understand is most most associations have some kind of training and education. Um, the MTIS program and things that we can do from the core group are to kind of help. Uh, change that, make it more inspirational, change people's lives to Tom's uh, point, build high-performing people that are high-performing leaders that have high-performing teams and and great cultures. And whether you use us or somebody else, I would highly encourage you to look at a program like this. Reach out to Tom. If you know Tom, uh, reach out to Dave and, and talk to him about programs like this because what it allows you to do as a association is offer a program to small and even medium-sized companies that otherwise would never never do something like this. And you will see a huge benefit in the payback of the people that come back from these programs and start to instill some of these things in your team and literally change the culture of your company. And, and dollar for dollar value add, uh, generating greater value for your, tum- for your company and for your team is really investing in those people. And some of the smaller companies don't have the budgets for that, but a program like this allows you to do that. That's what I love about it. And the people that are in it are absolutely amazing. People know how to reach us. I'm Dave at propfuel.com. Tom is Tom at heattreat.net. Cruiser, best way to reach you? Uh, Kay Howland at uh, thecoregroup.com. And and or H-O-W-L-I-N. Correct. Like Howland Uh, at the moment. Thecoregroup, C-O-R-P-S group.com. And mine's just Jay Borneman. Same thing. Borneman is B-O-R. N-E-M-A-N at thecoregroup.com. Great. Really love this conversation, Tom. Because you know why, Dave, right? (laughs) No, tell me why. Because they're strong, my man. And then there's (laughs) there's association strong. We're out. Very much. Awesome, guys. Thank you. Good seeing you. We hope you gained some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorson.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.